We're in a series on marriage and family, God's uh, design for a godly home. And uh, it's easy in a series like this <clears throat> to get right to a bunch of do's and don'ts. What you need to do, and here's how you need to do it, and those kinds of things. And there will be plenty of time for that, trust me. Um, several weeks ago, uh, when preaching on, on God's purpose... For marriage and family, Craig Coolish made this wonderful summary statement. Flowing out of God's uh, command, God's creation mandate to Adam and Eve. And he summarized it by saying, To the ends of the earth, till the ends of time, make people of God, expand the place of God, spread the presence of God. And I was on vacation uh, that week and the following week and uh, listened to Craig's sermons a couple times and Matthew Ott's sermons a couple times uh, and loved hearing them both and loved hearing them both twice. And this phrase has really uh, stuck out in my mind because it's an excellent summary of what is what God has called us to do. To the ends of the earth until the end of time, make people of God, expand the place of God, and, ex and, uh, and spread the presence of God. And so by extension, this is our commission, right? This is the biblical call for those who are devoted to the Lord and his purposes, or those whose hearts are devoted to the Lord and his purposes. Now, when I use the word heart... Uh, as the Old Testament uses the word heart and several other synonyms, when I use the heart, the word heart, we kind of get into this mode of thinking about all the feels, you know, um, all of the the emotions that are conjured up when I use the word heart, because a lot of times we use the word heart to express that I feel deeply what I'm saying. But the word heart encompasses everything about us. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll read that this morning, but essentially that's saying with your whole being. So when I say with our heart, as wholehearted followers of Christ, we don't want to just like feel good thoughts for the Lord. We want to be wholly devoted to the Lord. Now, there's a problem with that. We don't do that so well, right? Good morning. My name is Pastor Matt, and I don't do so well at being wholly devoted to the Lord. I want to. I'm growing. Got a lot of growth left to do. So I don't know if you would find yourself there and, and agree with me, um, but that's, that's where we're at. And so we've started to answer that question, right? The next obvious question is, well, how? How do we do that? So we've started down the trail of answering that question. Uh, intentionally addressing several caveats along the way, right? Uh, we could just, as we've done before, just a couple years ago, went through Ephesians, we looked at husbands and wives and parents and children, and we'll do that some more as we come, but Colossians, we can look at those passages, and again, we will. But what we're really trying to key in on here is the heartbeat behind it all. Because... If we give you a list of do's and don'ts, which I know some of you are really, really waiting for, 
right? Uh, sometimes I listen to a message and I'm listening to it and I'm kind of leaning in and I'm like, okay, okay, now, now tell me what to do. Come on. Why? Well, it's easier. I mean, can I just be frank? It's just easier if I tell you, now go home and do this, this, and this. Problem is, if I tell you, go home and do these three things, and you do, but you don't have the heart behind it, I don't want to say there's, there's no common grace good in those things. That means there are some good things that we do that, don't, uh, that, that are God's gift to everyone. The evil people do it. The good people can do it. The godly people can do it. God wants our heart. He wants us for him, not because he's needy, but because he deserves our allegiance because of who he is. And we'll look at that. So we started to answer this question. And as we do it, we're pivoting now to talking about and talking to parents. Right now, if your kids are gone from the home, your grandparent, there's application in here for you. If you're not a parent yet, if you're not married yet, there's application here for you, right? I, I wonder, I repeat that almost every single week because it's important. You remember the very first week we said, talking about family, your relationship with your family is not the most important your relationship, your relationship with the Lord is. Because if your relationship with the Lord is right and growing, much of everything else will take care of itself. Not automatically, but if your relationship with the Lord is right and is growing, you'll be seeking the right things. You'll be looking in the Word and learning from other godly men and women who've gone before you and who are walking with you, and you'll be learning some of what you need to learn to be a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly parent, a godly child. So we have to get... And we have to keep first things first. I want you to listen to, now this is a familiar passage. If you're familiar with it, hang in there the whole morning. If you're not familiar with it, just lean in and it'll be, it's good because God's word is good. But the Lord uh, gives a familiar uh, statement to the people of Israel. I touched on it last week at the end of the service. And we're going to look at it a little bit more here this morning, but we're going to start back at, at the beginning of this chapter, Genesis 6. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. We'll put this up at the screen. We're going to look at several passages at the beginning of the service, and then, um, and then we'll kind of talk through those a little bit. But the Lord gives this command. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's just a different way of saying with all your being. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now he's actually referring back to uh, the Ten Commandments and everything else that God has taught his people so far, but primarily the Ten Commandments and and. Uh, and what he's teaching them sort of now here. He said, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall uh, impress them upon their hearts. I've got this thing. It's actually wearing out. I need to get a different one um, someday, but that's beside the point. But I've got this little, um, I can't even think of what it's called right now, although my words are gone. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a stamp 
that I stamp in the bottom right-hand corner on the title of all of my books that I have. Um, and uh, I bought it, I don't know, I've had it for probably 15, 20 years. And it just has like my initials on it. And, you know, and, and so you, you put the page in the middle and then you squeeze. And if you don't squeeze hard enough, you'll get a little bit of a, oh, there's supposed to be something there, but I have no idea. I don't have any idea what it says. But you really crunch and then you hear it go, and you're like, oh, it's like the most satisfying feeling. You know what I'm talking about when somebody is playing a chord or they're doing a musical progression and then they get to the chord right before the last chord of the song and then something happens and the sound goes out and you're like, I mean, you're just like, play the last chord. I need it to be resolved, right? When that thing clicks in, you go, oh, and you go, it's like, oh. it makes an impression. makes an impression on the page. And you know, you could take a you could take a, a rolling pin and you could flatten that impression out. You know what? It's still going to be there. It might not be as clear, but that impression will be there. Even if it's mostly flattened out and difficult to read. You shall teach them diligently. You shall impress upon the hearts of your children these things. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. How do we impress these things on the hearts of our children? How do we teach them diligently? All the time. All the time. Not, not just Sunday morning. When we come to church to do spiritual God stuff. Sunday morning ought to be the culmination of God's people all week long, impressing things upon their hearts by spending time with their God. So talk of it when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them on a, as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They shall write them on the doorposts of your, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And then, and then the Lord paints a picture for Moses about what he's getting ready to do for his people. He's getting ready to bring them into the promised land. And he says, essentially, when this has happened, and then he goes in, he kind of pivots to the family conversation that will happen, right? Sometimes uh, I, I get the privilege of talking with people about different kinds of things you do too. And sometimes part of that conversation goes something like this. Now, listen, I want to talk to you about something for a second. We've talked about lots of good things. We've worked out some practical solutions. But I want to encourage you in a particular way. When someone asks you how you're doing or why it seems that you're doing better, tell them about how God, through Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully, and in many cases, in biblical community. Sustained you through your trial. Gave you wisdom for the journey. Gave you promises to hope in. And expectations for a very real future that as a child of God, you cling to. Tell them how the Holy Spirit is giving you Peace that Paul says surpasses all understanding. Because it's our built in, ready made, 
evangelism opportunities. Brothers and sisters, I would argue that if, if we were all, and I mean all, I mean we all have to do it. Yeah, everyone who names the name of Christ needs to walk with the Lord and look to him and trust him in faith. Daily, all the time. When we do this and we go through trials, we learn and we grow. God has given us our built-in evangelism opportunities. And we wouldn't need courses, seminars on evangelism. That doesn't mean we wouldn't need to teach people how to figure out how to say things a little bit better or whatever. But I'll tell you, a, a clunky testimony of God's faithfulness is just what the Lord will use to say, it is not by your strength, but by mine is the Lord who has accomplished these things. So that's right. You bring your clunky testimony. I don't know how to best say that. They don't care. They're like, I saw you deep in the pit of depression. And not all of your circumstances have changed. What's happened? Well, I just did these two things and it, you know, said five positive phrases a day and, and it, no, no more happened. As you learn to trust the Lord, trusting in God's sovereignty and walking with the Lord, depending on him, faithful to the things you know what to be faithful in, God began to give you peace. And that peace internally is now working its way out in your disposition. You think in Genesis, uh, when, when Cain and Abel went to bring their offering before the Lord, and the Lord rejected Cain's offering, but he, he received Abel's offering, he, he, he said an important phrase to Cain. He said, why is your face fallen? Why is your countenance fallen? In other words, what are you down about? What are you angry about? As we learn to increasingly walk with the Lord, trusting in Him, looking to Him in the ways that He describes and prescribes in his word, the Lord lifts our countenance. Many times before the situations seem to get better. And so the Lord says, and we say, when someone asks you in the future, be ready to tell them about the work of the Lord. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 6 verse 20. He says, when your son asks you in time to come. Now listen, he doesn't say when you go into the land and all of a sudden your kids are like, dad, we've got a new place to live and it's taken us a little while to get here, right? A lot of years of wandering in the wilderness, a lot of years of being rebuked by God for their bitterness, for their complaining, right? Remember Moses' discipline, he's like, oh, do we have to make water come out of this rock for you? And the Lord is, whoa, 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 what we? I mean, you got a staff. It doesn't have a button that you're pushing with the stick. It's, I'm bringing the water, okay? The Lord says, when you get to the place I'm taking you, when you get to the promised land, and, because I know it's coming, when your son asks you, now, every parent in the room, every grandparent, every family member, every person in this room that thinks, oh, my kids are out of the house or whatever the case might be, I want you to listen. 
Because what we're talking about is in the context of parenting, but it implies intergenerationally to the entire body of Christ all the time. There is never a time this does not apply to you. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from here that he might bring us in and give us the land that he promised to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us to do. About 13, 1500 later after Deuteronomy was written and the Lord had accomplished wonderful things in, in Israel's history, one of the scribes asks Jesus, so which of God's commands is the greatest? Which one's the, the most important? Which one's the most overarching of them all? And Jesus in Mark 12 says, well, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. In other words, the most important commandment to be is to be our number one priority in life is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Pastor Matt, are you going to say that the entire service? Maybe. Maybe. You see, this commandment summarizes what's called the, the, we see the pictures of the Ten Commandments, five on this tablet and five on this tablet, summarizes the first tablet, right? The first tablet with regarding our relationship with the Lord, and no, you shall have no other gods, no graven images or idols, don't take the, the name of the Lord in vain, uh, set apart one day a week uh, for the Lord, for worship and for rest. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that, that the Lord your God is giving you. And the second command, love your neighbor as yourself, summarizes the second tablet. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie or tell half-truths, don't covet what's not yours. I guess you can only covet things that aren't yours. So then Jesus comes, he begins his ministry and... In one sermon on a mountainside, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he uses these categories of... I want you to pay attention to how these categories relate to the Ten Commandments and are summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself or practice the, all of the one another's in Scripture. And so in three chapters... 
in about a, I don't know, 30-minute sermon. I feel like I just kind of cornered myself in right there. <laughs> what we have recorded to read in about that amount of time. He, he, he uses these categories of anger and lust and divorce and oaths and commitments and retaliation and loving your enemies and giving to the needy and praying and fasting and prioritizing our treasure and sinful worry and anxiety and sinful judging or doing to others what you wish that they'd do for you to show us, ultimately, we're not able to accomplish these things on our own. So for those of you who are listing, waiting for a list of do's and don'ts, they're there, and we'll talk about them, but you need to know our hope is not in the do's and the don'ts because we can't do them all right all the time. <clears throat> Later, Jesus says all these commandments depend on these two. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. God rewards faithfulness in parental living, not perfection. God rewards faithfulness in parental living, not perfection. And I use the phrase parental living intentionally. When we think of parenting, we think of how I'm to be a better parent, we go right to what I'm to tell my kids, what I'm to teach my kids, what I'm to, you know, get them to do. Well, parental living, at least that's the way I'm thinking about it this morning, it's just broader than that. And it just means how we live before the Lord as one who is a parent. How we live before the Lord as one who is, you could say, a husband, a wife, brother, a sister. And it's important to understand that God demonstrates throughout the whole Old Testament and through the New Testament, that we can't do it on our own. We're not going to get it right. So for those of you who are perfectionists in this room, just like, stop and say, I don't get it right. Don't expect yourself to be Jesus. Expect yourself to be Matt or whatever your name is. So faithfulness is rewarded by the Lord. We're to be faithful to God's word by his grace and for his glory. And so in the same way that we can't make ourselves live a sinless life by our own willpower, listen, parents, you cannot make your children live faithfully to God's word. You cannot make your children live for God's glory. You can teach them, you can train them, you can and should discipline them. But above all, you should model faithfulness in parental living. Faithfulness to the Lord. So I want to ask everyone in the room, what is it that has your heart more than the Lord? It could be something material. It could be an activity. But I can give lots of really particular examples. The problem is then you just think, oh, oh, he's just keying in on me. He must be mad at me this morning. It could be an activity. It could be a pattern of your schedule. It could be finances. It could be your children. 
your children might functionally have your heart more than the Lord does. Giving your children everything that they want may have your heart more than the Lord has your heart. You need only look at the pattern of your life over the last year or two. Week. And this sermon could get really heavy really quickly and it's not intended to. I'm really just intending to drive one point home this morning that God rewards faithfulness in parental living, not perfection in parental living, right? It's empowered by the engine of faith that God is who he says he is. Let's switch categories for a minute. When I think about my finances and I think about the fact that God says he will provide and that God owns everything and that God can and will give me exactly what I need for that day. My giving financially should go right to the church first. Before I pay any bills, I am offering and 10% the Old Testament it's what the word tithe means. But in the New Testament, it's really just saying we can't give all of our money out of pocket to the Lord so that we have none, but we use it all for God's purposes and we give first to the Lord through the local church. And I will say, side note, this is for free, by the way. You don't even have to use that money for this. If everybody just gave about 10%, I know some people give more, some people get less. It's not really about the dollar amount today. And we wouldn't have any budget struggles. So that's just an example. If we believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he'll do, then we're going to act out of that. We'll be faithful in our parental living because of who God is. God is the God who is with his people. He tells Moses this and he meets Moses at the burning bush and Moses is trying to figure out what in the world is happening. Now he's got his shoes off and, you know, the Lord explains who he is. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, I can get with that because I've heard Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob tell me about the Lord. I've heard the tale of who you are. And now I know you. Now you've shown yourself to me. And I know who you are, Lord. And so then the Lord tells Moses that, He's calling him for a particular job. And he's like, oh, hang on a second, Lord. Uh, but who am I? You know what God's comfort was to that question? He didn't say, you're a great parent. He didn't say, you're a faithful church member. He didn't say any of those things. What did he say? He said, I'm with you. I'm with you. I will be with you when you step out what I'm calling you to. And Moses argues again, but I'm not eloquent. I'm pretty slow in speech. God says, I made you. I made your mouth. So you follow me and I'll tell your mouth what to do. 
You follow me. You trust me. Believe who I am in faith. I'll take care of your mouth. He said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. I want to ask a question for you. Have you as a parent failed to trust who God is, what he will say, what he says he will do through you? And said, but, but Lord, I don't, I don't know how to teach my kids to the Bible. I'm not a good teacher. In fact, I'm not, I'm not a great reader. So far, you're step for step with Moses. And God said, oh, it's okay. I'll be with you. If you are trusting in Jesus, right, forwarding to the New Testament, I'll be with you. I am with you. In fact, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Well, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what to say. I will teach your mouth. I will teach your mind. I will teach your heart. Walk with me. Spend time with me fellowship with me. I'll teach you because I'm with you and I'm in you. Oh, Lord, no, no, no. Send someone else. Send, send the church to do it. Something is revealed in us when we change up a Sunday school strategy. Well, actually, it's not really. We're taking a break for the summer. It's not changing the strategy. I want to be clear. Something is interesting is happening when we expect and feel the need to have a, say, pastor of worship or family. And this is, by the way, I'm not against pastors of worship or family or students, anything like that. I mean, I was one for 15 years. But when the church changes how we go about equipping kids and teens, it's interesting to see people start to get pretty nervous. And I just want to ask, what are you doing at home where this doesn't really throw... I mean, we love having Sunday school. And this sermon is not about that, by the way, but just an example. We love having Sunday school and, and youth group, and we love having adults, whether they're you know paid pastor of students and family or whether they're whether they're body of christ ministers of students and family to teach and equip our young people but if we're relying on them then then we're in line with moses's game plan here lord send somebody else and so the lord did send someone else but something else happened first god's anger burned against moses If I may paraphrase. Moses, I made you. I brought you to this bush. It's on fire. And it's not burning up, which you've noticed, by the way. You're now standing in bare feet. Your sandals are off because you're standing. You now know you're standing on holy ground as I, the God who made you and made your mouth have said, I will be with you. In fact, don't worry about your mouth. 
I know how I made your mouth. I made your mouth just like you need to depend on me. I'll teach your mouth. Moses and we to go. Oh, okay, got it. I'll follow. But, but Lord, please send someone else. The Lord's like, oh. except in a perfect, godly way. And his anger burns against the Lord and he sends Aaron. And he says, I will tell you and you will tell him. And you will be like, it's a comparison, God to him. And thus began Moses' ministry. Now, in Deuteronomy here, he says a couple things that are really important. Number one, I've already just drawn out the idea of that we want to the engine of faith because of who God is, who God has said he is and who he communicates to us. And I want to close with, with a couple of other things, but remember, God is a God who is with us and he is a God who commands always what is for our good in order that he might preserve his people. Right? I mean, that's what verse... 23 says, he brought us out from there that he might uh, bring us, well, I'm going to keep reading, bring us in and give us a land that he swore to give our forefathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. God is with you if you have turned from your own leading of your own life. We've used the word heart today. If you Step down off of the throne of your heart and say, I am not going to try to retain kingship over my heart, over my life. I repent. It just means to turn away from yourself out of grief over your sin and turn to the Lord. Trust him. And remember that he commands everything for our good. The second thing is that faithful, faithfulness and parental living flows out of faith that God really has done what he said he has. Right? He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I want to ask you this question. What has God done for his people throughout history? Loads of it is here in scripture. And loads of it has happened in church history since. Now I want to ask you a personal question. What has God done in your life? I want to ask you to think very clearly. What has he done in your life? In most of our cases, in most of our cases, God has taken something that has been broken. God has taken something that is embarrassing. I mean, I have several versions of my testimony that I share depending on the audience or the, maybe the purpose for the day or something like that. They're all true. 
It just involved varying levels of detail. I mean, I was six years old when I gave my heart to Jesus, and I was a liar. I was curious about all kinds of things. And then I lied about it because I knew I was wrong. And then when I was asked about the lie, I lied about that. And on and on it went. And at six years old, I knew I was dead in my sins. And Jesus saved me. And I had days, months of walking with the Lord. And I had times when I wasn't walking with the Lord. I was in disobedience. I was a child of God walking in disobedience. And in more than one time in my life, God gripped my heart, usually flowing out of my own sinfulness and an overwhelming display of God's grace and mercy. Over and over and over and over. I mean, I could preach for another hour and a half and just tell you stories. What I'm, I'm saying that to say this to you this morning. What has God done for you very specifically that faithful parental living means you need to share with your children? Do your children know what God has done for you? Not just the prayer you prayed, not just the baptism, but do, do they know what God has done for you? Have you said, oh, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <clears> to <throat> cast off all restraint and I'm going to tell my children age appropriately and sometimes at the right time, though I hesitate to use that phrase because we think that means the perfect time and it's not. But some of you love to tell your testimony to other people. Praise God. Have you told your children? When you struggle as a husband and wife and, and, and you come back together and you reconcile, have you let your kids in? Right? I mean, this isn't, oh, mom and dad worked through it and we made up, it's all good. No. Your dad was wrong. And I, I sinned against the Lord, to your mom. And I realized I was selfish. And God gripped my heart and brought me to repentance. And I've, I've repented. And now I've apologized to your mom, but I, I need to apologize in front of you guys because I was wrong. If we live with the Lord imperfectly yet faithfully, God will use the everyday failures in your life to crack a window and move fresh air through the spiritual temperature of your household. Do your parents see, I'm sorry, do your children see parents who, who are devoted to the Lord, imperfectly, but devoted? Does your life look like most of the other people's lives around you. Same pursuits, same goals. If we parent only through the lens of, well, because I said so, they're going to see it every time. 
Parents, we must parent through the lens of faithful parental living means we're, we're walking with the Lord personally, so we're walking with the Lord as a family. You're walking with the Lord as a mom, so you're walking through, through life with the Lord with your kids. And what they hear on Sunday mornings, it just fans into flame the gift of God that's poured out through you to them. It just fans into flame the, the worship that's happening through our homes. You say, well, it's just husband and wife now. Open your Bible, read it together and pray and praise the Lord. Worship the Lord together. You got family worship right there. Lots of freedom in how we do it. As we begin to talk to parents, the main thing we need to keep on focusing on is that God rewards faithfulness in parental living. One last word. Because of what God has promised to do. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of what he's promised to do. This is not our home. This is not our home. And so we look forward to glory, knowing that we want our kids to look forward to glory so that their kids will look forward to glory, so that our great-great-grandchildren will look forward to worshiping the Lord without any hindrance one day when we get to heaven. Until then, we praise God that he doesn't reward our perfection. He has rewarded Christ's perfection. And if you have stepped off of the throne of your heart and turned to Jesus and given him reign of your life, he has rewarded Christ's perfection in you. And you are now holy. That means you're set apart for the Lord. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're set apart for the Lord. So as those who are holy, let's be wholly devoted to the God who is, to the God who made you, for who, for, for who he is, for what he has done, and what he has promised to do. And then much of what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, while I hope it will be helpful, will really be secondary. 